You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, Internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Hey, this is John Preston, Marine Combat Veteran and Pacific Records Recording Artist. i just reaching out to have you check out our new album, Battle Cry, Sons of America's Heroes, an album featuring phenomenal other combat veteran artists like Scott Brown of the Scooter Brown Band, Brian Weaver, Rowdy Johnson, just an incredible mix of people. This is all veterans telling our stories and our lives, and we're giving 100% of our proceeds to the Valkyrie Initiative to help veterans and first responders integrate back into society. I, myself, I've battled with post-traumatic stress for many years and lost my own brother, a Marine Corps veteran, to suicide. I ask that you step with us and make this happen. We are in pre-order right now and release on March 17th. Go to iTunes, go to Amazon, bye, bye, bye. We plan on making the charts and making it at a very high level, and your support right now makes a difference. This is the release of my new song, Superman Falls, which is actually about the loss of my own brother, which happened last year. And I would love for everyone to check it out, to listen, and hopefully it'll make a difference in If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000, but the most you'll get from government benefits is $255. How will your family pay the difference? We can help. Our senior plans start as low as just a dollar a day and pay up to $30,000 for a funeral and other final expenses. Peace of mind is easy. There's no medical exam. You'll have lifetime coverage, and your plan can't be canceled as long as you pay your premiums. Call now for free information about our senior plans. Answer a few simple questions and receive approval right on the phone. Plus, call right now, and we'll give you a discount prescription card for free. Call 800-553-8687. That's 800-553-8687. Again, 800-553-8687. 687. This is Slickery Trigger for Rebel Road Tactical. With proper care and feeding, your pistol will be ready when you need it. There to save your life. Shouldn't your gear be that good? Whether you need a holster for comfortable everyday carry or a tough-as-nails holster for your next training course, Rebel Road Tactical has what you need. Check us out on the web at rebelroadtactical.com. Sometimes riders feel lost, unsure why a passage may not be working. It takes another set of eyes to help us nurture our riding into full maturity. At Black Wolf Editorial Services, we strive to enable riders to develop and grow, offering manuscript critiques and line edits through a mentoring editorial style. We also offer assistance on generating a rider's bio for your websites. Black Wolf Editorial Services, nurturing your writing into maturity. For a full list of services, visit blackwolfeditorial.com.
Here's George Foreman with InventHelp. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. Call InventHelp today for free information. InventHelp has been helping inventors for more than 30 years and has sales offices nationwide. InventHelp can submit your invention to companies who are interested in receiving new ideas. If you have an idea and want to try to patent it and submit it to companies, you should call InventHelp today. 353-6490. Again, 1-800-353-6490. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. around us is an amazing place filled with beauty and with science. But let's face it, sometimes science can be so confusing that it takes a PhD to understand it. Well, you're in luck. I just happen to have a PhD. Come and take a seat. Perhaps I can explain the world around us in a way we all can understand. Welcome to Conversations in Science. I'm Dr. Judy L. Moore. Call me Doc. Hi, guys, and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Conversations in Science. For those of you who are just tuning in, we are actually live, which is going to be a bit interesting because we may have a few dodgy internet connections going on here, but that's okay. We're going to do the best we can, but if we do cut out, you know what's happened. Sorry, Doc, I'm not at home today. I'm producing on the road. I know, and that's part of the reason why we're live today, isn't it? Because you are such a busy woman, Jess. Right, for those of you who are new to the show and have never heard a Conversation in Science episode before, my producer, Jessie Sanders. Jess, hi. How you doing there, Doc? Hi. Right, Jessie Sanders is there to make sure that I don't get too technical and make sure that we explain the science in a way that we all can understand. But Jessie, of course, is a very busy woman, so we couldn't actually pre-record this like we normally do, so we are live. <laughs> Let's see how many times I trip over my tongue, hmm? You'll be fine, Doc. We, you got this. You got this. I know you Yes, do. yes, I have got it. Right, so today... Today, I thought we would talk about something that actually came up in the news recently. Really? And that was You're doing science. a current events sh- topic? Yes. Yes. I normally don't do news topics, do I? I'm normally just out of the news and periphery and saying, 
just various different aspects. But today, I thought I would sort of deviate a little bit from what I normally talk about. And I wanted to talk about the science marches. We were talking about... Science oh, marches? Wait a minute. Yeah. A bunch... Are we, wait a minute, Doc. Are we talking scientists running around with protest signs? Yes, we are. Wait a minute. That's wait a minute. Exactly doesn't compute. Doesn't compute. Scratchhead. Exactly. It doesn't compute. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. Basically, about a week ago, scientists around the world, not just in the U.S., but we also had marches here in New Zealand and there were marches in, the U in Australia as well. And I believe there were marches in the U.K. And it was basically around the world. Scientists took to the streets. They got out of their labs and they physically put on, held up signs and were walking down the streets all in protest to various different politicians who are ignoring what science has to say. Now that sounds like a very forward way of doing things, but what people don't really understand is that scientists like being cozy in their labs. Very rarely will a scientist actually get out and be political in what they have to say. Now, scientists will go visit a local school and talk to kids about science. But to go out oh, all and the try time. and make I mean, a political statement? Yeah. I'm doing things like science outreach, which is where you're going out into the public and you're talking about science and talking about what you're doing and drumming up interest and engaging with the kids and encouraging them to do science. Science outreach is something that most scientists are really keen to do because we won't get our continued scientific development if we don't encourage the generations behind us to take up the field of science. Okay, but that makes sense, Doc. Exactly. But when we're getting ignored by politicians because they think what we're doing is fake science, that's when there's a problem. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Fake science? I've heard of fake news. I've never heard of <laughs> fake science, Doc. Well, let's face it. There's these comments that keep going around that saying that science is alternative facts. Hmm. I... There's a bit of a process that we have to go through, and it's not, it's not a simple process. So to just ignore science? Hmm. Anyway, coming back to these science marches. What makes these science marches so unique and so special is the fact that they were coordinated effort around the world, multiple science, multiple, multiple um, countries, multiple fields of science. It wasn't just environmental scientists. It was you had a whole bunch of other scientists out there. The thing that I found a little bit sad about what happened is that social media as a whole has taken some of these signs and the pictures that people put out there and have turned them into jokes. And I have to admit, some of them were really funny. I, I saw one that said something along the lines of that, you know, science is not the square root of negative one. Okay, And I cracked up laughing when I saw that. Scratch it. Doesn't make <laughs> sense here. You're going to have to stop and explain the joke, Doc. I know jokes lose their punch. They're funny if you explain them. But exactly. But in this one, I will I, basically. OK, so 
the reason why I cracked up laughing with that particular one and that particular sign was because the square root of negative one is an imaginary number. It is a scientific concept, a mathematical construct that is used quite frequently. And it's basically, that's what you say. You say negative one, the square root of negative one is a imaginary number. So to go through and say that science is not the square root of negative one, you're saying science is not imaginary. Okay. And that's why I cracked up laughing. I know, it lost its punch. Science I can joke. see why you would I, get a kick out of that one, Doc. I really could. <laughs> I know, it's a science geek joke. But the, hey, that's, sorry, but it's me. But well, to why see, do you think I'm here, Doc? So that you don't tell so many science geek jokes, nobody gets it. But to see signs like that being plastered across the internet and basically turned into a joke was a bit disheartening because I think the public as a whole didn't actually really understand why scientists have actually taken to the streets. And I believe it's the first time that scientists have ever done something like this. Okay. Scientists, when they are looking at their notes and their paperwork, are not quick to judge. They are not quick to come to conclusions. They want to look at every aspect of a situation and see if they can actually poke holes in their own theories. They want to make sure before they publicly say something that they have got all their T's crossed and all their I's dotted and everything is all correct. So they like so that their, way. So they like all their ducks in a neat little row and package and everything straight. So they know exactly what they're going to say before they say it, Doc. Exactly. That's exactly it. And and they take the time. And sometimes research projects can be years before a public announcement is made as to what the results actually are. It, it's not a simple, here's my data, look at it. Oh, look at that. A week later, I've got results out. It, there is a whole huge process involved. But what had happened roughly around about, dare I say it, the time of the U.S. Um, presidential elections, scientists were being basically told that they weren't allowed to say anything. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. You had... Scientists were told to keep their mouth shut. Scientists were told to keep their mouth shut. Wait a minute, scientists all have of First Amendment rights too, Doc. What was that? Scientists have First Amendment rights, too. Yes, but scientists are also funded by the governments around the world. And if you say anything that could potentially be seen as going against the political parties that are in control, your funding is at risk. And that is one of the things that sits over the head of a lot of scientists. So the fact that you have scientists around the world that are willing to put their funding at risk says something. Sounds like it says a lot, Doc. It really, really does. Almost, it almost sounds pretty scary. 
it is scary. There are people out there that may be in a situation where their jobs are at risk because of this. But basically what it is, is that you can't ignore science. Science does not have a political agenda. Science doesn't say that you have to vote for this person or you have to vote for that person. Science is just facts. It says this is what's happening and this is why it's happening. That's it. Wow. There's nothing else to it. Well, and that makes to sense ignore to that. Yes. I was going to say it makes sense to me that science is fact because, I mean, last, well, there was an audio clip that you'd come up with that just sounds kind of gave me a peek into what you guys go through to get something accepted in the scientific community. Yeah, exactly. The, the clip that I gave you, and I think you're getting ready to play that now, is from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson is a world-renowned astrophysicist. So he is really up there with his science and love of science. But one of the things that he does is he actually goes into the public and he is part of what they call Star Talk Radio. And he talks about science as a whole and why we should be interested in it and where it can potentially take us. The particular clip that Jesse is in the process of lining up showed up on YouTube on the Star Talk radio channel on the 19th of April. So this was just before the, um, the science marches. And to be honest, I think it sums up very quickly what the science marches were really about. All right, you want to roll it, Jess? Yep, but I do want to warn the listeners, it is a, almost a two-minute clip, okay? Yeah. Okay, let's go. Okay. One of the great things about science is that it is an entire exercise in finding what is true. A hypothesis, you test it, I get a result. A rival of mine double checks it because they think I might be wrong. They perform an even better experiment than I did and they find out, hey, this experiment matches. Oh my gosh, we're onto something here. And out of this rises a new emergent truth. It does it better than anything else we have ever come up with as human beings. Science. It's not something to toy with. It's not something to say, I choose not to believe equals MC squared. You don't have that option. When you have an established scientific emergent truth, it is true whether or not you believe in it. And the sooner you understand that, the faster we can get on with the political conversations about how to solve the problems that face us. As a voter, as a citizen, scientific issues will come before you. And isn't it worth it to say, all right, let me at least become scientifically literate so that I can think about these issues and act intelligently upon them. Recognize what science is and 
allow it to be what it can and should be in the service of civilization. It's in our hands. That was cool, Doc. Yeah, I don't know about anybody else, but I always find that the way Neil, Gra Neil deGrasse Tyson actually talks and speaks so passionately about science, it always gets me choked up. <laughs> well, but he—he—it's just one of those things that it—it it really is. You cannot ignore facts. He was talking about the peer review process. In the beginning of that clip, he was talking about how somebody will put out a paper, a scientific, and it normally goes into a scientific journal, which has its own peer, peer review process before it's published. And I'll talk about that in a moment so everybody gets an idea of what it really is like. And then someone will see that paper and they'll go, yeah, I'm not sure about that result. I don't know if it's right and they will create their own experiment and they'll either validate the results or they will blow those other results out of the water. Okay. And when they do validate it, they publish it again. And it's just everyone would be validating these things. And once you've got this happening, and these are coming from not just one lab, it's coming from multiple different labs around the world, multiple different scientists that are looking at the same problem but in different ways. And... When you get the same result, how can you dispute the facts that have coming from that? I, I just don't understand. Well, I don't know how somebody could argue with... I have enough trouble arguing with one of you. Arguing with two of you would be almost impossible. And get four or five of you ganging up on me. Eek! I'm running away! I'm running away! <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the peer review process. So basically the way it works, when you are writing a journal paper, and it normally is a journal paper or something that's going into, say, a peer-reviewed conference, because I, I have submitted a few um, papers that have gone that way. Basically what happens is that your paper gets sent to experts in your field, They various different experts in your field, to look at your paper itself. They're looking at... One, they're looking at how well-written it is, because let's face it, if it's not a well-written article, then it's not going to make sense to anyone, and there's going to be so many holes in it, and people are going to question the results anyway. So okay. they will be looking at things like that. Okay, that's a good, always a but good they place will, to start, Doc, especially with an editor. <laughs> yeah, especially with an editor. But then they also look at your background in terms of how much of the background to the problem have you set up they'll look at your experiment methodology whether you've actually given enough detail for somebody to potentially repeat the experiment they will look at your results and they will look at your conclusions that you've drawn and do they make sense are they logical conclusions and if they are not meeting that basic level of information then your paper actually could potentially be rejected. Okay, wait But this a is also after it has already gone through a process of review within your own research team as well. So you're saying you could You've spend... You've got a question there, Jess. 
forever and ever working on this paper. It could go through your research team. You get everybody on board. You spend forever writing it, editing it, making it all nice and shiny and dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's and all your ducks are information. And then you send it off to a journal. And just because somebody else doesn't like something in your paper can be rejected? Or do they have to disprove your paper for it to be rejected? No, what they, it's not that they don't like something in your paper that can be rejected. What it is, is they can come back and they can actually say, well, have you considered this research over here? And have you considered this research over here? And, and I don't think you've looked at your situation or maybe your, your methodology is not as in depth as it could have been, or maybe your conclusions were a little bit obscure and we didn't quite make the leap that you had done. Okay. with reading these numbers. So those are the sorts of things. And I have known, I do know of one case where um, one of the research teams that I was involved with, we were racing on the clock with against another team that was on the other side of the world because you want to be the first team to get the, the results out there. Let's face it, it's prestige. You want to be the paper that becomes the one that everybody refers to. Well, I can you see that. You want to be the first yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a prestige thing. So you want to do that. And so you're racing against the clock against another team. And I've actually heard of a case where somebody submitted a paper for, for review, for a peer-reviewed journal, within a couple of days of another team who would submit the same, almost exactly the same paper, different, slightly different experiments, slightly different results, but almost the same, but because the two teams weren't talking to one another, both papers got rejected. Okay, okay. Why did they reject them? Because the two teams weren't talking. Because it came down to you have to collaborate. And that's the thing. Science is collaboration. Science is peer-reviewed. Okay. There is a lot of collaboration that goes on in science. And it's not just one country. Let me see if I got this straight, Doc. So you're, let's just say you live in New Zealand and you're working on some crazy, you're trying to take the twinkle out of the stars again on me. And you're going to go talk to some scientist in New York who's also trying to take the twinkle out of the stars and one in Australia and one in France. Yes. So then if somebody in Germany is trying to take the twinkle out of the stars too, but they're not in your little group. But they've got a group from, say, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Germany, and some other American. You know, we'll put this one in California. But you two groups aren't talking. Somebody's going to say, hey, guys, get it together and start talking. Yes, that's exactly what will happen. You have to have that collaborate, the collaborative efforts now, going on. How do you guys know what each other's working on? Well, believe it or not, scientists talk to one another. Well, you work out who is where in what fields and what research groups are working on what. And you talk to people. And that's what you do. I mean, I was talking when I was doing my PhD, there was my research counterpart was actually in Australia. He was using a completely different technique to what I was using. But we were talking on a regular basis about where we were at, what we were up to, and the, the situations that we were dealing with. 
Okay. People See, talk. Well, yeah, obviously people talk. Just look at the gossip pounds in D.C. <laughs> but the thing is, is because we are scientists, it's we're talking about the science that we're working on and we're talking about our methodologies and we're looking and helping each other in a way to solve some of these other issues and solve these problems. They might be just little tiny things that are slightly different. But at the end of the day, it's not about just one group of people. It's about society as a whole. Okay. Science is for society as a whole, not just the one power that might be in power. Okay. So basically, I think, let me see if I'm getting this straight. I'm going to have to put this in more of a Jesse's POV point of view because, well, this ain't your normal field, Doc. Normally, you're off telling me how something works, not how to write a paper. But I have, yeah. <laughs> so you're basically saying scientific fact is borderless and that scientists from all different countries talk together and get their act together so that their research will be accepted around the globe. Yes. Okay. There is... There is still some political side to that. I mean, the funding aspects, and, and you still have to go through your funding boards to get authorization to release certain information to the public as a whole. But in general, yeah, scientists are talking with one another. They're reporting the results to each other, and they're using each other to bounce these ideas around and improving that their theories are correct or incorrect, as the, may, as the case may be. And believe it or not, scientists actually get giddy when their theories are incorrect. You know, when you, you make this, you have this result, and it doesn't show up. It doesn't, ex it's not what you expect. And you're going, hmm, now that's interesting. What am I looking at? And scientists get a little bit giddy by that because it's something they don't know. And it means it's another area that they can explore and get more knowledge and understand the world around them. So you have a theory that's wrong. Sweet! More research! Here we come! Doc, Doc, can you explain what happens with the additional research after we take a quick commercial break? Yep, sounds like an idea. <laughs> All right. And we will see you guys on the other side. If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000, but the most you'll get from government benefits is $255. How will your family pay the difference? We can help. Our senior plans start as low as just a dollar a day and pay up to $30,000 for a funeral and other final expenses. 
Peace of mind is easy. There's no medical exam. You'll have lifetime coverage, and your plan can't be canceled as long as you pay your premiums. Call now for free information about our senior plans. Answer a few simple questions and receive approval right on the phone. Plus, call right now and we'll give you a discount prescription card for free. Call 800-553-8687. That's 800-553-8687. Again, 800-553-8687. All writers are prone to becoming so attached to our characters and stories that we struggle to see why a passage may not be working. It takes another set of eyes to help us nurture our writing to full maturity. At Black Wolf Editorial Services, we strive to enable writers to develop and grow, shaping stories into masterpieces that can stand the test of time. Editing services are provided for all genres and all age categories. Services range from the critique of the short story through to line edits on full-length novels. We also offer assistance on generating writer's bios for your websites. We won't abandon you to the masses. We want to celebrate with you in your successes. Black Wolf Editorial Services, nurturing your writing into maturity. For a full list of services and prices, visit us at blackwolfeditorial.com. As a mother, you don't want to have to worry about this bill is coming, but then she needs this chemo. That's a decision you shouldn't have to make. At St. Jude, a family never sees a bill at all. It's like the world has been lifted off of your shoulders. The treatment doesn't get any better than what you receive at St. Jude. It saved my life. It saved my daughter's life. It saved our family. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Okay, not a problem. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here just sort of scrunching my eyebrows. You can't see that, but I was like listening to that and going, okay, that's not normal. This is interesting. Okay, carrying on. Sorry, normally I would have picked something more appropriate for you, but this whole episode's kind of been on the fly between your schedule, my schedule, your family, my crazy existence. Yeah. For those of you who are just joining us, um, we are live. We don't normally do conversations in science live, and we are talking about the science marches, what it really is like to be a scientist, and the process behind science, and why things like the science marches were so important, but people don't really understand. Okay, so we were talking before the break. We were talking about the process and what happens when a scientist has a theory that gets proven incorrect and why they get a little bit giddy and going, "Ah, more research. Scientists in general are curious creatures. I can see that. You can actually spot a scientist. As a little kid, you can actually see who's going to be the scientist. If you have, you line up a whole bunch of two and three-year-olds together and you can see which one 
is going to be the scientist in the group because they're typically the one that is looking at something and trying to figure out why it works and how it works and trying to take it apart. Are they the ones with the screwdrivers taking apart the clock radios trying to figure out how to make it louder, softer, play something different? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and, and that's basically what we all, all of us are like that. We have these little things about what we just want to know how things work and that's what we do. And when we have this theory about something, how it, it we think it works in a particular way, and we're going, oh, it doesn't actually match what the data or the, the results or something doesn't actually match what we're thinking. It's like, oh, man, now we've got to figure out why it doesn't work. Why? What's actually really happening so we can understand? Because, sorry, scientists don't like just accepting things. We like to understand And that's probably what makes us all giddy because when we understand, we are just like, fantastic. Now to go find the next problem that we can understand. I know that sounds confusing and I know I'm going round and round and round. No, actually you're making sense. You're making sense in, in a, in a different way than I'm used to you making sense. But you're basically saying that just because your hypothesis is proven wrong, you guys don't give up. You want to know, okay, why is it wrong? What did I miss? And figure out what the right question to be asking is to get the answers you want. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. See, I told you, you're not totally (laughs) running in circles, screaming and shouting yet. Oh, good. You're actually Sometimes making I sense. I wonder whether I'm doing that. You're actually making sense. Your, your producer sitting here going, okay, I know when I get told I'm wrong, I kind of yell at people, but that's another story for off air. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We don't go there. No, no. When I, it's, it's just one of those things that you'd like to know. Why is this not, why is this not working? Um, I'll give you an example. When I was doing my PhD, um, I was looking at how the turbulence was moving above, just above the ground because a turbulence was affecting the light. The air movement was changing how light was moving. And I was, my data, it wasn't getting as strong peak information as the simulations were showing. The simulations were showing these really bright, points but I wasn't getting getting that in the data and I couldn't figure out why and it was driving me absolute batty I was just like no no this should be doing this and it wasn't until I started to actually play around with the simulations in terms of the time spacings between data points and all these other bits and pieces that I suddenly realized what was going on and what was exciting for me was that I was able to prove another research group who was using the same technique as me, I was able to prove their theories incorrect because the algorithms they were using for compensation did not account for this time variable that was in the data. And I was just like, oh, that's so cool. I found something that somebody else has missed. Yay! So scientists are a bit 
competitive, even though they like to stay in their labs instead of run around with protest signs, they have a competitive streak. Uh, yes, yes, because you want to be the paper that everyone refers to. <laughs> okay. It's our way of prestige. <laughs> okay. Well, I also noticed something this week, Doc, and I got it. I'm going to just put this one out there. You know me, I, I, I'm college educated, but that's about all I've ever told my on-air listeners. But you know, I must surround myself with pretty smart people. Because I can think of at least five people in my phone book that have the letters PhD after their names. And one that's soon to have it. Yeah. And you were telling me that that's not an easy degree to get. Yeah, I was actually thinking about this um, the other day, wondering whether we've actually demeaned the value of, of degrees in science and, and all that sort of thing the other day. If somebody has a PhD after their name, to put it blunt, they have spent far too many years at school. Far too many years. <laughs> I mean, you've got, <laughs> you've got what, the... 13 years that you get when you're going through, you know, elementary and through high school. So that would be about, what, 13 years going through there? Well, in the U.S., if you count kindergarten, it would be 13. If not, it's 12. But, yeah, 12 to 13 yeah. years. <laughs> so you got the 13 years of your younger years of education. And then you have your four years of your bachelor's degree. And right. then depending on where you are in the world, you'll have to do a master's. Some places you don't, um, some places you do, and that can take another two years. And then your PhD can easily take anywhere between three years to, and in my case, <laughs> nine years. Okay. So do the math. Nine years just on your PhD deck. Yeah. I worked part-time for part of that time, okay? I decided to have a baby while I was having a PhD, so shh, shh. I just got to say, I was going to say, you proved one theory right. Anybody with those initials after their name has spent far too long in school. Far too long. And that is the truth. You know, we have spent far too long in time at school. Yeah. But to do that PhD... The, the idea or the category for a PhD is that you are adding to the pool of knowledge. So you have found something new. And the, it's one of those, it's that old adage that the student surpasses the teacher. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yeah. You'll have your PhD supervisor who will be an expert in the field, but at some point, somewhere along the line, while you're doing your PhD, you suddenly become the expert and your supervisor doesn't know as much as you do. Okay, that could get interesting it, and confusing all at the same time. But so, Doc, would you agree that the PhDs tend to be the most cur more curious group overall, no matter what their PhD's in? Yes, and P and this is the other interesting that's interesting thing about scientists or PhDs or various different aspects is that even though you've done your PhD in one field, 
it doesn't mean you don't have an interest in other fields. Okay. It, it crosses. You're, that knowledge and that wanting to understand the world around us just, it spans to everything. Well, everything around us. I think that's the perfect segue to something else, Doc. And I'm going to see Uh-oh. if you can figure it out from this. You let one of those out of the bag recently. Yeah, and, and, and Jess, thank you very much for phoning me up and doing it live, what, a week ago? Oh. oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I had to vote password. Uh. And she had no clue this was coming. It was a spur-of-the-moment thing for me, too. So, I had fun with it, though. Yeah, I know. I could tell. Right. Right, so, cat out of the bag. Here we come. I am going to be having a book published in three months time Yay, exactly Doc. three months time <laughs> yes i will be a published author in three months time ah! well what i'm sure you're already published but what's the topic on this one yeah this the book that's coming out in three months it's called hidden traps a writer's guide to an online platform. Basically, what it is is it's talking about all of those little things that are in the internet and social media and building an online platform that can put your physical and security, um, internet security at risk, as well as make you look like an idiot. You know, someone who can't actually put three words together to form a sentence, which at the moment I feel like half the time I'm doing, but that's... We don't mention that. <laughs> oh, Doc, you're doing just fine. You're just not used to being live with me. I usually give you more time to collect your thoughts. Yeah, that's true. And I and I feel like I'm a bit babbling, but that's fine. I'm sure well, I'm not. <laughs> so, okay. So this is a writer's guide to an online platform. What if you're not an, a writer, but you have a need for an online platform or you want one? Yeah. Anyone who has, um, like, for example, for yourself, you know, you're being a radio personality, you still have to have an online platform, and you have that with your Twitter, and I think you've got Facebook. Yes, I've got a Facebook page. I just don't usually mention it because, well, it's kind of a lonely place. (laughs) So, yeah, so you've got, so you have the need for an online platform, and I know um, Rick Robinson, who's the other... um, uh, other major hosts from KLR and radio, it, he has one as well. And so basically anyone and everyone who needs to have an online platform for whatever reason, this book will help you see where some of those hidden traps are, you know, the costs that you may not have expected when you set up that website that suddenly came up and it's like, oh, bugger it. <laughs> the things that you might be doing that's potentially leaking your personal contact details and you don't even know you're doing that oh no oh no oh no 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 (laughs) no they're scary when you come across things like that i'd like my contact Um, details kept to myself please 
as well, you know, there's also some of the other things, you know, cross postings. A lot of people actually do things like cross posting from Facebook to Twitter or from Instagram into Twitter and, and all that sort of thing. So they'll cross post and they don't realize that what they're doing is they're all they're doing is putting links there without any information and it looks really, really bad. Like you can't be bothered. Oh, see, now I do a little bit of cross-posting, Doc. I do Twitter to Facebook. Yeah, Twitter to Facebook is okay. Facebook to Twitter, not okay. So I'm Instagram doing it right, to Twitter, Doc? not okay. So I'm doing it right? Yeah, you're doing it right. Twitter to Facebook is okay. It works fine. Cool beans. All right, and I'm sure there's a thousand and one other tips in there. Oh, yes, definitely. Most definitely. All right. So if somebody wants to know more about this book and see the cover art, where can they find it, Doc? Come on, come on. Let the cat the rest of the way out. <laughs> okay. The rest of the way out, right. The information, if you're interested in little snippets about the book or, you know, to get a little bit of insight into what's in the book, the cover – that's all on blackwolfeditorial.com. Okay. And that's your editing site. It is the editing site. Yes, it is. Okay. All right. I am really. Oh, you're <laughs> fine, really Doc. Now. I was going to say, Doc, I think we're about done for today. What do you think? I think so. Unless somebody, at, you know, if anybody has any questions on what it's like to actually be a scientist and or if they disagree with some of the things I've said and they would like to correct me, hey, you know, scientists like to occasionally be proven wrong. This one certainly does. So feel free and I'm more than willing to listen to other opinions. All right. Well, Doc... Thanks for another enlightening episode of Conversations in Science, The Roadshow. <laughs> yeah, let's try not to do a roadshow again, okay, Jess? Well, if we have to next time, maybe it'll be a pre-recorded version where I play it as if it's live. Yeah, that'd be okay. Okay. All right. I think we're out. Well, that brings us to an end of another Conversations in Science. If you have any questions about science and about some of the world around us, feel free to drop me a line. I'm on Twitter, and you can find me at Judy L. Moore. Or you can look me up on Facebook, Judy L. Moore. Or you can drop me a line on my personal website, JudyLmore.com. I think you're seeing the pattern here. Then, of course, if you are interested in some of the other projects I do, which is the writing and editing, feel free to check me out on blackwolfeditorial.com. But then, of course, don't forget, if you are wanting more information about the science, you can also contact us at the station with the email of science at klrnradio.com. Then, of course, there's my cohort that keeps going through and popping up. You mean me, Doc? Well, for anybody who wants to track me down... You can find me on Twitter at Jesse's POV. And you can also drop me a line at the station at Jesse's POV at KLRNRadio.com. Bye, guys. Bye.